Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Today, we are continuing our Eastertide sermon series And this marks the period of Jesus' resurrection all the way to the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is next Sunday. But this Sunday is a special Sunday in the Eastertide calendar. If you're part of the high church, you might know. But this this Sunday uh, marks 40 days or in about 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. Does anybody know what happens on day 40? Say it out loud. The ascension. Absolutely, you get the first donut. Go out there, grab the first donut. Uh, But this is Ascension Sunday, and that is going to be our topic for today. Um, And I think if you're anything like me, sometimes the Ascension can just sort of just pass you by. Because when we talk about Easter, we we think about the resurrection, and then we think about the conversations that Jesus had, namely with Peter and reinstating him, or as he just soothes the doubts of Thomas, and conversations that he had with other people, and, and things that he did that just amaze us. And then all of a sudden, he's ascended and he's gone, and then we're in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of just skip over this moment, but I believe that if we begin piecing together what the Bible says about the ascension and the implication of the ascension of Christ, we see this amazing picture that I believe would encourage our hearts to make room for the theology of the ascension in our everyday life. And I'm very excited that we get to do this today as we celebrate our high school graduates because our graduates are going through a transition in their life and what we are about to read is a decisive transition in the moment of scriptures. So our graduates have grown, they've passed the test, they've written the papers, they've met every single requirement and now from today and the next few days when they actually have their graduation, their life is going to change. Everything is going to change for them. And what we see here in the life of Jesus, if I can just use some rudimentary language here, this is a moment of transition, a graduation, so to speak, in the story of Jesus, where he's about to leave his physical, earthly ministry behind and ascend back into the heaven, back into heaven. He has done the work, he's completed his task, and now he's going to return to the Father. This is the moment where the ministry role of Jesus literally is going to change. And Luke gives us a picture of what is happening here. So we're going to read two of the writings of Luke, one from the Gospel of Luke and then one from the book of Acts because he ends the book of Acts with the ascension and then he picks right back up where he left off uh, with the ascension in chapter 1. So let's read those verses, get a sense of what's happening, and then I want to build a bigger picture for you of what is happening here, biblically speaking. Now Luke 24, verse 50 through 53, that's going to be our first text. And it says this, when he has led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed at the temple continually praising God. Now let's jump forward to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 7. Now, this is Jesus speaking, and Luke says this. Luke records this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times 
or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now, this moment of the ascension has a different name. It's called the glorification or the exaltation of Christ, literally meaning the lifting up of Christ. Now, something that Pastor Pete has been doing throughout our entire sermon series, which I thoroughly enjoy, is he's been reminding us of this, that the New Testament writers wrote what they wrote in the hopes that whoever reads what was written, that they would put themselves into the story. You are expected to read the scriptures and to, as best as you can, Put yourself in that place. And I believe that the ascension of Christ is one of the moments that really calls us to do that, to see what is happening here, what is happening in the glorification of Christ. But before we read that, and before we do a little bit of an exercise this morning to help us with that, I want us to read what is happening. And we get this beautiful description from Paul in the book of Philippians in chapter 2 of what is happening in this moment with Jesus. So this is a familiar passage, you have, you have no doubt have heard it before, but I believe it's going to set the stage for us to see what the writers want us to see. So Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. He says this about Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on the cross. This is Paul recapping what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus emptied himself, was born at Christmas, born at the nativity. He lived the life that was worthy of, of his sacrifice. He gave his life for us. And he became obedient to the Father, even to death on the cross. And because Jesus did what he did in his earthly ministry and earthly life, this is what Paul says is, happens to Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this moment of the ascension, Jesus is being lifted up to the highest place, and he is being given the name that will be above all names for all time. He has accomplished his task, he has beaten death, he has ransomed his life, and because of this, he is now put at the rightful place as ruler over all. And at the ascension, Jesus is entering the heavenly temple, the true holy of holies, the throne room of God. And we're told by Peter in Acts 2.33, and by Peter again in 1 Peter 3.22, and in other places, in Colossians, in Romans, we see this depiction of what Jesus is doing, Peter tells us that at the ascension of Christ, that this Jesus, who has gone into heaven, is now seated at the right hand of God. So what we're reading in Scripture is the moment that Jesus puts himself, is put at the right hand of God, where he is and is now, even at this moment, seated at the right hand of the Father. But 
I want us to see the picture this morning. We need to see it because if we don't see it, we'll miss it. So I'm going to ask you to do an exercise with me. No, you don't have to stand up and move around. Everybody said amen to that. But a little exercise this morning. Because the throne room of God and the glorified Christ is actually depicted for us in the scriptures. But what I want you to do to see it is I'm going to ask everybody in this room just to close your eyes for a moment. And just keep them closed. The book of Revelation, where John the Revelator has this vision of God. John is given this beautiful gift of being able to see into the throne room of God and see the glorified Christ. And he paints the picture for us. But I want you to see it this morning. And even if you're watching online right now, I would ask you, wherever you're at, close your eyes and see the picture that is being laid in front of us of this moment that we are reading in the life of Christ. When John hears a voice like mighty trumpets and he turns and he looks into heaven, he sees the throne room of God and he describes it like this. That the one who is sitting on the throne has the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow of living color shone around the throne like emerald. Surrounding the throne are 24 heavenly elders who are seated on 24 thrones, dressed in white and adorned in gold. From the center of the throne comes flashes of lightning and great peals of thunder. The front of the throne, there are seven golden lampstands burning, and they're set upon a sea of glass as clear as crystal. Living creatures encircle the throne and day and night never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as these creatures sing the praise of God, the entirety of heaven comes to a standstill. And these 24 elders stand from their throne to take off their crowns, to bow low to their face and put the crowns before the feet of the Father. And as they do this, they sing, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and they have their being. Imagine the worship and perfect praise of this moment, the thunder, the lightning, the glory, the majesty. And now take the description of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1, that when John looked and he saw the one who was like the appearance of the Son of Man, he described the glorified Christ like this. He said, standing among the golden lampstands was the one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash. His hair is white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes are a blazing fire. His feet like bronze glowing in a furnace his voice like many rushing waters. He holds the seven stars in his hands and his words in his mouth are like that of a double-edged sword and his face as brilliant and as shining as the sun. When John saw this, he fell like a dead man under the weight of the glory of God. Now church, with your eyes closed, can you imagine this moment? If you are a follower of Christ, your heart should be leaping out of your chest right now to worship and praise the living God. 
Imagine the greatest moment of worship you've ever had. Imagine the moment where you are just within the presence of God. Imagine the loudest moment, the loudest church service you've ever been in, being completely dwarfed and drowned out by the sound of heaven when Christ the victor, when Christ the conqueror assumes the rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Can you imagine with me please this morning the sound and the majesty and the might of heaven when King Jesus returns to his throne? That is the picture we're supposed to see when we read about the ascension of Christ. You may open your eyes. That's the picture of Christ we're supposed to lock inside of our hearts. That's who he is. And what's more amazing to me as I read these scriptures, as I, as I put my thoughts there, as I read the scriptures, what the throne room of God was like, what amazes me the most about all this thing is that the exalted and glorified Christ now dwells inside of every single believer by his Holy Spirit. This Jesus is the one who imparts himself to us. He is the one who sits at the right hand of God, but he also dwells within our hearts. Church, that doesn't make sense. There's a mystery to this. But if you saw a picture of Christ in your head, if you saw the majesty of the throne room of God, you now have to remember, now have to imagine that as mighty as that moment is, as amazing as that moment is, as beautiful and as perfect as that moment is, the most favored throne of God is the throne that's within your heart. Because that's where he wants to be. Church, this is why Christ is central to everything that we do. This is why everything at City Church revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. This is why he is everything. This is why we worship him. This is why we point our community towards him. This is why we desire in the depth of our heart that if somebody does not know this, Jesus, come to know him. Please see the picture. Jesus is the centerpiece of heaven and earth. He is the crown jewel of all things, and he is worthy of our worship. But so often, every single year, we read the ascension, and we go, oh, that's nice. Nice. This is the glorification of the king of the universe ascending to his throne. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and he sits signifying that his earthly work is done, that he's accomplished what he's needed to do. But what is Jesus doing now in heaven? That's the question we have to answer next. What is Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? Well, the Bible paints us a better picture of what Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to just share a few, but there's one this morning that I felt led by the Holy Spirit to share with you more in depth, especially with our graduates. As ministry in heaven, what Jesus is doing now, number one, he's governing the universe. The Gospel of John chapter 1 tells us that, G, that through Jesus all things were made and by him all things came into being. And it's through Jesus that everything in the universe, both physical and spiritual, has its order. Jesus is now ruling over the church. In Ephesians 1.22 it says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He gives the church direction and he gives them merciful gifts to help us stay together. He also helps believers on individual level. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Hebrews 7, 25 says this, 
He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. Which means Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father makes intercession for you for every single thing that you would ever have need of. My favorite verse in all of scripture is Hebrews 4, 16. And it tells us that one of the ministries of Jesus is to give us access to the throne of God. Hebrews 4, 16 says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's my all-time favorite verse. Because it means Jesus is forever in the presence of God and him being in us and us being in him, we are forever in the presence of our heavenly father through Christ. But the one thing I would share mostly this, uh, more in depth this morning is one of the ministries of Jesus is what the book of Hebrews would tell us is that he is our great high priest. Or another way to put it, he is our advocate. See, in the Older Testament, the high priest was the mediator between God and man. He was the go-between of God and man. And now Jesus is that for us. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What this means, church, is that Jesus has walked in our shoes. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our faults. And because he knows how broken we are, he advocates for us on behalf of us in front of the Father forever. Now, I really didn't learn what this meant until later in life. But the picture that God used to help me understand what this means was something that happened to me when I was very young. I was about seven years old. It's around 1989, 1990-ish. And my parents are just wonderful people. They grew up in Niagara Falls, New York, blue-collar town. My father worked in the chemical factory. My mother was a waitress at multiple restaurants at this time. And because they were gone working so much, my grandmother used to come in and watch me during the day. And because of that, that woman became my favorite person on this planet. And she still is today. And we had a great relationship. Our favorite thing to do together was to watch Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments, like on repeat. That's what, every time I think of my grandmother, I think of that, that movie and I think of a bowl of hard candy. Like typical, right? But that's what, I would sit with her and we would eat these Werther's Originals and we would watch Charlton Heston on repeat. That was her favorite movie and we just loved doing it together. But I had a great relationship with her growing up. Well, my grandmother was watching me one particular day and I did something extremely foolish. See, in 1989, 1990, this was the height of Sears hardware. Does anybody remember the box store Sears? 
Like, that was the Lowe's and Home Depot before Lowe's and Home Depot was a thing. If you ever needed a tool, if you ever needed hardware, you went to Sears. You hung out at Sears. Anything you ever needed, that was there. If you were a home improvement kind of guy, that's where you would go. My father lived at Sears. If you wanted to meet your buddy, you went to Sears and you got these tools. And it was like the place to be back in the day. Well, my father, at this point in time in my life, he had purchased something new that Sears had come out with. And it was a brand new electric sander. And he bought the sander, and I believe it was his personal mission to make everything in our house silky smooth after he got this tool. He would do everything. He did our kitchen floor. He did our deck. He did all the windows. He sanded the walls. He took all, every piece of popcorn ceiling off of our ceiling at our house. Like, he just stripped everything off. And he actually took all the doors off the hinges in our house. He re-sanded them, and he repainted them, every single one of them. And he even did my door uh, in my childhood bed. Bedroom. And this one particular day, as my grandmother's watching me, I'm sitting up in my bedroom and I have this bucket of markers. And I'm coloring. Yeah. And inside of this bucket is a marker I'd never seen before. It was bright red, and I took it out, and simply on the side it said, Sharpie. And I took out this marker. And I decided I was going to give it a shot, and I took it out, and I used it, and it was bright red just jumping right off the page. And in a moment of fate or destiny, whatever you want to call it, I looked at this mark in my hand, and I happened to look up, and there in front of me was a freshly painted, beautiful canvas that was calling out to me like a fresh canvas to an artist, just saying, color on me. Come on, you know you want to. And I looked at this door, and I went, hmm, that door could use some color. And so I took this bright red marker... And I started very small up in the corner, and I started writing. Now, at this point, I am well beyond the age of I should know better. Well beyond the age. There is no excuse here. I am guilty of sin in this moment. But I started coloring just in the little corner, and I was like, hmm, that looks good. And so I kept going and going and going. And three-fourths of the door down, I'm still coloring. And this entire door is now red. Ten minutes after I'm doing this, my grandmother comes in, the, comes in my room. She opens the door, and she's happy and cheery. She's having fun, probably watched Charlton Heston for the hundredth time. She sticks her head in, and she looks around because I'm behind the door, and she looks around. She goes, hey, how you doing? And, <gasps> and she inhaled for what seemed to be an eternity because what was going to come out of her mouth, I don't believe she stopped talking for six minutes after she saw that because she saw the door she saw the marker down my arm and she immediately went into what are you doing what is happening why are you doing this you know better than this your mother's gonna kill you your father's gonna kill you they're gonna dig a hole out back and it's like they're just she's just going off and I finally like it snapped me back into reality for a moment and I just realized like what what have I done and I slowly began backing away from the door because this woman that I love is just going off. And I'm like, sooner or later, she's going to direct that right at me. So I'm just going to back up a little bit. So I'm backing up. And as she's like just, just yelling and just going off, like I, I, I find, it, it hits me and I start to cry. And I just immediately, like just water just starts coming down. And I'm just, I'm just like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Like I, I don't realize what I've done until now. I realize what I've done and my life is going to be over. And not 10 minutes later, she, she's downstairs. She gets this hot... A bucket of water and soap and sponge. She comes upstairs. She starts 
rubbing this, and, and since it's fresh paint, the marker's bleeding into it. So as she starts wiping it, all this red just starts coming out. And it looks like the movie The Shining just coming down. Just, I mean, just, and it's just the door is now just completely covered, just completely changed everything. And she's just looking and just, and she can't do it. And, and I'm not kidding. Five minutes later, I hear my mother come through the door and she's had a great day. And she's just like, hey, how is everybody? What's going on? And she comes upstairs and she sticks her head in the door. And just like my grandmother, she looks over and she sees my grandmother. She sees the door. She sees my hand. And she just, <gasps> and just inhales. And I'm like, oh, Lord, here it comes. Here it comes. This is going to happen. And she goes off as well. What are you doing? Like your father is going to kill you. He just sanded everything in the house. He even sanded the dog. Like he's done everything in here. Like what are you doing? How is, and, and she's just going off. And as she is just rightfully being angry in this moment, my grandmother walks over to me because she sees me crying and she puts her arm around me. She does this, this, this mom thing where she just looks at me and goes, <sighs> shakes her head. And my mom is going off, you boys are why I can't ever have nice things in the house. And this is why, you know. And my grandmother's just got her arm around me. And as my mom just knows that that ink is not coming off the door, she slams it down in the bucket. And she turns and looks at me. And she starts walking towards me. And I can see her finger coming up. I'm like, that finger's going to be in my face a long time. But as she's walking over, I'm going, this is it. I'm seven years old. And this is where my life ends. This is where it happens. And she's coming over. And I can just see her just going to be just in my face. My grandmother does this amazing thing. She pushes me behind and she steps in front of my mom and she jumps in between my mother and me. And she says something I think you're never supposed to say to an angry mother. She looked right at her dead in the eye and said, calm down, relax, it's just a door. I was like, if I said that, I'd be in the fish tank. But you just calm down, it's just a door, it'll be all right. My mom's going off, and those two start arguing with each other. He should know better. Yes, he should know better, but it's a door. I can't believe it. I can't believe he did it either, but it's a door. It'll be fine. We can fix this. It's okay. He should know. But this amazing thing happened as well, as I think that only a mother can do with a daughter, or as a mother can do with another mother, but for everything my mom started to say, my grandmother started doing this amazing thing where she started saying, yeah, he did that. But do you remember when you were little and you, and then my mom would start it again. Do you, but, and my grandmother would go, but do you remember when you, do you remember when you, do you remember when you did this? Do you remember, and I'm in the back just going, oh yeah. And I'm taking notes and I'm writing these things down because I'm, I'm loading these things up for later. Then they start talking to each other and they start sharing these stories. And, this, and just this beautiful picture, this mother and daughter just talking. And my, my grandmother's reminding my mother of these stories of what happened with her when she was a little girl to the point where like they started laughing and sharing stories together. And they started just talking back and forth. And I honestly think they forgot I was even in the room, which was good for me. But they just started talking and hanging out and having this moment of, it's all right. My, my grandmother stood in front of me and she advocated for me. She spoke on my behalf. And although I was guilty, my accuser, as my grandmother spoke, had to become quieter and quieter and quieter. 
God used that picture in my life to explain to me what an advocate of Christ looks like. Because Jesus does this for us. When the accuser of our soul wants to condemn us, wants to belittle us and wants to beat us down, when life becomes too heavy, stressful and difficult, when we're filled with confusion, sorrow, depression, anxiety, man, when we're lonely and we're hurting, Jesus rises on our behalf in front of the Father and he claims us. He argues for us and he reminds us that in him there is no condemnation. I ask you to see the picture again of this glorified Christ. This Jesus who rules all things, who is pictured in glory in the throne room of God, the creator and ruler of all, stands for us at all times. This is the Jesus who is in your heart. This is the Jesus who advocates for you. Let's stand this morning. I believe the effect of the ascension in the life of a believer is assurance and a call to wholehearted endeavor. If we remember the life of the disciples, the disciples feared the moment that Jesus was going to leave them. Every time Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going away, they were filled with fear and confusion. But when they saw the ascension, it filled them with boldness to go and seek the gift of Pentecost. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they plunged themselves into a life of being led by him. They were emboldened to go into all the world without fear of rejection, without fear of sin, without fear, because they know the one who is in their hearts. They know the one who stands for them, Christ the advocate. Christ was working in them and working through them and standing for them. And this morning, as we remember Christ in Eastertide, my hope for you this morning is to remember who this Jesus is that stands for you.